And when we are certain, we will surely advance the kingdom of God. Now flip over a few pages to chapter 4. That's all introduction. Now we're going to be able to dive in to our text before us. <clears throat> there is a struggle that every one of us face. It does not matter who you are. Doesn't matter the color of your skin, doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter how old you are, there is a problem before us. And the problem has nothing to do with how much money you have in the bank. It has nothing to do with the type of car that you drive. The problem that every one of us face is the problem of temptation. Every one of us in here face temptations, amen? Think about your life. When's the last time you faced a temptation? Probably was not too long ago. There's always been temptations, but it could be that in our modern-day society, temptations are raging all the more. You cannot go through life and not be exposed to so many temptations. And, and your temptation might be different than my temptation. Some of you, you get on Amazon during the day, and you see that little Buy It Now button, and somehow it's always on sale, and you didn't even know you needed it. You didn't even know you wanted it. But for some reason, you cannot resist clicking that Buy Now button, and the UPS man, he knows when he drives down your road that he will be stopping by your home every single day. And so maybe it's a temptation for you to keep buying things that you really don't need. Maybe there's a temptation to just have a critical spirit. And you have something inside of you that just, you lean towards being critical. Maybe there's a temptation to call your friends on the phone and indulge in a little bit of gossip. And you make it okay because you tell them, I just want you to pray about this. But did you hear about so-and-so? And you begin to go through those lines of gossip. Maybe there's a temptation before you for lust. I realize this is a mixed group, and so we'll, we'll tread lightly here. But if you look at statistics, the enemy has a huge, huge hookout that so many are biting into, and it has to do with the area of lust. And I want you to realize, as long as we are biting the bait, as long as we continue to give in to our temptations, we will not be successful at advancing the kingdom of God. If we give in to our temptations, then our life will be marked by destruction. There's a battle that's raging, and I'm telling you, it is important. Now, look at verse 1. And we're not going to stand because we're going to look just verse by verse looking through it. But we do understand that this is the inspired, inerrant, perfect, precious word of God. Amen? I don't want you to lose that. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. I want you to know, first of all, that temptations are coming. I want you to know that temptations are coming. If you look back, you'll see uh, chapter 3, of course, comes before chapter 4. And in chapter 3, Jesus has just been baptized. He was baptized, and there's this spiritual climax moment. Uh, the, the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus as a dove, and the voice of God rings out from the heavens and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It's one of those moments that you see the Trinity right there. Jesus is commissioned for the work before him. And so that's chapter three, and then in chapter four, he's led into the desert 
to fast, to spend time with God, and also to be tempted. I think we need to realize that often after spiritual victory, the enemy attacks. One of the most dangerous times that we will face in our life is after a great victory. We have a tendency to relax, to become complacent, and that is often when failure hits. We see that in the Bible. Do you remember the Israelites when they were in bondage to the Egyptians? And they witnessed all the plagues of God. They saw all these plagues. Then the Passover happened. They saw that. They are, they are released from their bondage. They go through the Red Sea. The water is pushed up on the sides. They walk through on dry land. That had to be amazing. Amen? Just an amazing moment. They walk through on dry land. Once they are safe on the other side, the army is coming after them. The waters get pushed back together, and they are found safe on the other side. Amazing. They are led by God by day and by night. God provides manna from heaven. God provides water from the rock. But just a little bit later, what did they feel the need to make? They make that golden calf. So much spiritual victory, but then they make this calf to worship it, and you say, why would you do that? We've been studying the Old Testament on Sunday evenings. I'm reminded of Noah. Noah was a blameless man. The Bible says he walked with God. He lived in faith. He built this vessel. He built the ark day after day after day for years. He, he, he's safe inside the ark as the rain comes. Once the rain ceases and the water goes away, Noah gets out of the boat, and one of the last images that we see of Noah is drunk and naked. Spiritual victory, but then we find him in defeat. And we've got to ask the question, why? Why? How does that happen? And then I look around at more modern areas, and I see it all around us. I saw just recently... I saw a, a pastor, pastor, and he was in a church, and the church was doing so well. The church was growing. New people were coming in, and this man would get up, and he would preach, and he would preach these sermons of conviction. They were good. They were solid. They were, they were biblical. The, the church seemed like it was just led right, and things were going so well. This man's family, it looked like it was going so, so well great testimony to the community and then it was discovered that he had been in a long time affair with a woman who was not his wife and he lost his church he lost his family he lost respect he lost everything and you can't help but step back and say it's not worth it, it it's not worth it and, and, and I I imagine, I know this man, he, he knew it was wrong. He knows the Bible says that your sin will find you out. He knows the Bible says that sin leads to death, but yet the temptation was there, and he couldn't find the strength to resist it. And the consequences are devastating. You see, I've got a, Brittany, she got me a new suit. You know, it was a big day, and so she got me a new suit. Never had one of these little pocket things, but I got one today. Okay, but I've got this white shirt on. Now, if I've got this white shirt on, and I was drinking coffee this morning, and I had a stain right here, do you know where your eyes would go? Your eyes would automatically overlook the good part. It would go right to that stain, wouldn't it? 
You know, that's what happens when we have a stain on our life. I'm not telling you the Lord cannot remedy that. I'm not telling you there's not redemption and reconciliation. But when we give in to temptations, when we fail, when we fall, we stain the cause of Christ. And when we stain the cause of Christ, the consequences are destruction. And so we've got to have the mindset going on to realize that temptations are coming. Temptations are coming for me and they are coming for you. We are called to live a life of godliness. And I'm trying to tell you that it really, really matters. The enemy wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy everything that is good in your life. And so Jesus is out in the desert and he's fasting. He's fasting before he begins his ministry. We don't have time. This is not the point today. But before you will ever be used of God in public, you must be with God in private. Amen. There's a lot of folks who want to be out in public and they want to do things. But even Jesus, before he goes out and really begins his ministry, he spends time fasting with the Lord, denying himself, focusing on the things of God. I wonder, in your life, how much time are you spending in in God's Word. I hope it's more than just on Sundays. I hope there's an urge within you that says, I, I want to I grow, I want to learn, I want to be closer to the Lord. That's what Jesus is doing out here in the desert. He's spending time alone with the Father. And then temptations come. Well, let's look at that first temptation. And I know what you're thinking. You think it's already 10.07. Okay, we're not going to cover the whole thing. And you're right, we're not going to cover the whole thing. Okay, let's look at this first First temptation. Okay. It says in verse 3, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. If you are the Son of God, command this stone before bread. Now, you might have the question, how is Jesus tempted? Jesus, the Son of God, how is he tempted? Here's the truth. Jesus is fully man, 100% man. Amen? At the same time, he is a 100% God. How does that work? I have no idea. That is way up here. It's hard to imagine, but Jesus is fully man and fully God. And when Jesus was here, he humbled himself. He entered his creation to identify with us and live as we live and be our Savior and our Redeemer. Jesus never used his divinity to benefit himself. He always used his divinity to benefit others. And so Jesus suffered just like we suffer. Jesus got hungry just like we get hungry. Jesus was tired just like we get tired. Jesus felt pain just like we feel pain. Jesus felt betrayal just like we feel betrayal. And the Bible says that Jesus was tempted. Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The Lord knows what you're going through. Some of us, we have these temptations, and you're here sitting, and you say, my temptation's bigger than you think. I have been in bondage to my temptation for far too long. I just want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ knows what you are going through. And I also want you to know as we look at this that there is no temptation that is too large for you. 
The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will always provide a way of escape. You know what that means? Somebody say amen. That's a good verse. You know what that means? No matter what you face in life, God gives you a way out. There may be a temptation or a struggle and you feel trapped and you feel like you're in bondage to it and you say, Case, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried and I can't find victory and that's just because you're walking in your strength and not the Spirit of God because there's always a way of escape from our struggles in life. And so let's look at the temptation of Jesus and see some of uh, the victory steps that we can take. The devil said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now, could Jesus have turned stones into bread? Sure. He turned water into wine. Surely he could turn stones into bread. The question becomes, what is the sin? Is it a sin to eat bread? No, not a sin to eat bread. There's no sin to eat bread. So what is the problem that we're looking at right here. I want you to know the scheme of the devil is to question your identity. One of the schemes of the devil is to question your identity. Satan does not doubt who Jesus is. Satan knows that Jesus is, in fact, without question, the Son of God. But he's trying to get Jesus to misuse his power as the Son of God by questioning his identity. Now, who is Jesus? Well, that's just been said. Look back at chapter 3. Look back at chapter 3, verse 21. I want you to see what's happening. Chapter 3, verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, he was praying. And the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Who is Jesus? He's the son of God. God is well pleased with Jesus. The very next chapter, just a few verses later, the enemy comes and he says, if you really are the son of God, he begins to question the identity of Jesus. You say, well, Case, that is subtle. Don't you realize that's the way the enemy works? It's subtle. Nobody's going to give in to the sin when they know it's going to ruin their life. You're not going to do it. Nobody's going to jump in when they know it leads straight to destruction. But there's these subtle ways around it. I want you to realize that your life comes out of your identity. If someone thinks they're a victim, they will live their entire life as a victim. If someone thinks that they are damaged goods, they will live their entire life unable to accept the grace and the mercy of God. Your, your identity determines your biography. You catch that? Your identity determines your biography. Who you think you are has a large effect in the way that you live your life. And so the enemy comes and says, wait a minute, are you really the son of God? Because if that begins to be questioned, then everything else falls apart. Let me just tell you, you have a new identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? In Christ, you have a new identity. God is now your new father. The church 
is now your new family. Heaven is now your eternity. The Spirit of God is now your power. You don't do it on your own. It's through the power of the Spirit of God. You have a new purpose for your life, and that is to advance the kingdom of God. But if you begin to doubt your identity, then Satan has already won a large part of the battle. There's nothing wrong with bread, but there is something wrong if Jesus gathers bread outside the will of God. Many folks are destroyed by things that are small and things that are subtle. Let me just give you an example. Is there anything wrong with money? Y'all wake up now. I know it's cold. Is there anything wrong with money? Nothing wrong with money. We need money. We have bills. We must have money. But there is something wrong with the love of money. There is something wrong when you find your identity in money. There is something wrong when money and greed and materialism drives you. There is something wrong when you care more about money than you care about the things of God. It's subtle. There's nothing wrong with money. But if your identity is found in money, then you've got a really big problem. Is there anything wrong with success at your job? No. That's great. We ought to work hard. But there is something wrong if you find your identity at your workplace. And what drives you is climbing that ladder at work, and you want the respect of your coworkers, and that's what makes you tick in your heart. There is something wrong if you value your job more than your family and you spend too much time away and your, your children don't have a good father, your wife doesn't have a good husband. All of a sudden, there's something really, really wrong with it. Is there something wrong with sports? No, sports can be great. You can learn all types of valuable life lessons in sports. But I know folks, and their whole life is wrapped around 13 or 14-year-old sports. And they live that, they breathe that, it's all they think about, it's all they do, it's all that drives them, and then it becomes a guide, and then it is a problem. You see, where your identity is, who are you? When someone says, hey, tell me about yourself, what comes to mind? How do you view yourself? Your identity becomes your biography. There's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with rest. There's nothing wrong with social media. There's nothing wrong with television. But these things can begin to drive your life. And they remind us that Satan can use good things, turn them into bad things, and those bad things can destroy us. And so the enemy comes and begins to question, are you really the son of God? Is that really what you are? Who are you? Let me just list this quickly. If you're in here and you're a child of God, according to the Bible, I've got scriptures for all these, you are accepted. You are chosen. You are free. You are forgiven. You are a new person. You're a child of God. You are made in the image of God. You belong to Jesus. You're a citizen of heaven. You are protected by God. You're part of something that's very important. God loves you no matter what. God is with you. You are God's special creation. You are rescued. God hears you. He listens to you. The Holy Spirit indwells your life. God takes care of you. God gives you joy and peace. You are blessed. God understands you, and you are treasured by God. We must know who we are. Secondly, we see this. The enemy questions God. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Picture, Jesus is out in this desert, 
and it's barren, and there's all these rocks, these little round rocks. Some of you have been there. You've seen some of these, and they look maybe like little biscuits. And so he looks out, and he says, if you're really the son of God, why don't you turn these into bread so you can eat? After all, you are, you're Jesus. You are God in the flesh. Why should you be hungry? Why should you be hurting? Why should you be suffering out here in this desert? Does God not love you? Listen, sometimes the way the enemy works is he has you look at your life and say, if God loved you, your life would be a whole lot easier. Anybody's your life ever hard? Somebody. Your life's hard sometimes, right? Life is difficult, and maybe the enemy comes and whispers and says, if God loved you, your life wouldn't be so hard. Why, why is money tight at your home? Why is your job not good? Why do you feel like you're just kind of stuck where you are in life? If God was, was for you and God wanted what's best for you, shouldn't your life be easier? And then the enemy comes in with this lie and says, you know what? The, the Lord's put all these roles on your life. You know what's best for you. You know what's best. You know how to be happy. You know how to find joy. You know how to live the best and get the most out of life. Why don't you just trust yourself and do what seems right to you? If God really loved you, you wouldn't be missing out on so many things in life. And there's this lie that says, you know better than God does. Same thing happened in the garden with Eve, remember? Hey, did God really say you can't eat that tree? Why can you not eat the fruit out of that tree? Why is God holding back from you? God must not care about you. God knows if you take the fruit, you'll be like him. God's not good. God's trying to hold you back. And a lot of folks buy into that lie that God is holding you back. Listen, God knows what's best for your life. Amen? God desires what's best for your life. Amen? And God is right in what he says. The Bible tells us that Satan is a liar. He is the father of lies. And so the enemy tries to take these good things and tries to lead them away into things of destruction. Think about this. Psalm 139. I know we've got to close. What do we think about? Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Well, let me give you one victory step, okay? Maybe two. One or two victory steps. We've got temptation. How do we overcome it? What did, what did Jesus say next? Look at the next verse there in Luke 4. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Here, it's real simple. One of the steps to victory to overcome temptation is we know the Word of God. Amen? See, and it's more than knowing the Word. It means that we have this ongoing relationship with the Father. When you have that and you're walking in the Spirit of God, you will find victory over your temptations. And that's what we are striving for in life. How much time are you spending in the Word every day? If we're honest, there's some conviction in that. Another Thing we'll close with is self-denial if we're gonna overcome temptations we must learn how to deny ourselves. Brittany and I got on the the New Year's resolution bandwagon and so we're at this stage where we're counting our calories okay if you've ever done that it is a miserable way to live life <laughs> I mean I'm just telling you it is a miserable miserable way I used to go 
through and find a bag of chips, and I would grab a handful and just chug them. Before I even put them on a plate, I would just get handfuls. And now I'm sitting out, and I'm counting out wheat thins. <laughs> Have you ever eaten a wheat thin? It tastes like cardboard. But at our house, we have reduced-fat wheat thins. And if you thought a regular wheat thin was bad, you ought to have a reduced-fat wheat thin. And you get 16 of those bad boys for like 130 calories. So I'm, I'm counting these puppies out, and, and I've got my little meal. And I'm, I, before I can even eat, I've got to go on the app, and I've got to type in all the calories. It takes like 30 minutes to do this before I eat. And Maddox comes over, and he had a meat lover's pizza. It was fresh, okay, and so it's sitting there on the counter, and I'm at the bar, and I'm, I've got this bad meal, and I'm popping it in, and he pulls up with these two pieces of meat lovers, and I didn't know that I bought it, but I bought the stuffed crust for him. Man, the stuffed crust, oh my gosh, that is good. And so he's eating, and this cheese is just falling out of the sides of that pizza, and I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, I just want to throw him off that bar stool and eat that pizza so bad. I'm so tired of counting wheat thins. What kind of way to live is this? And it takes so much discipline not to eat something good. You know what studies have shown? Studies have shown that we think we're stronger than we are. We think we're stronger than we are. We think we can resist things, but usually we end up giving in. It, it takes walking by the Spirit, not to neglect the cheese pizza but that's good too but to walk in the spirit of God to deny the passions and the temptations before us I want you to close your eyes I want you to think about it what is what is the temptation in your life there may be a struggle that you have been you've been fighting for a long time and nobody knows about it and and you you just you have shame in your life, and you have this guilt because you know it's not good, but you keep giving into it. It's something that, that's not, not healthy for you. You know it doesn't bring God glory and honor. You're selfish. You, you're prideful. You're materialistic. You find your identity in something other than God. There, there's all this stuff, and it's pulling at you, and you, you desire to do what's right, but it's, it's tough. And my prayer is that the Lord will bring conviction. And through that conviction, we will begin to see that he always provides a way of escape. So let me ask you this. As your heads bowed, your eyes are closed, who are you? Where is your identity? Is your identity found in your job? Is your identity found in your money? Is your identity found in your hobbies? Or is your identity found in the Lord Jesus Christ? Who are you? That makes a big difference in life. Number two, have you bought into the lies of the enemy? Every time we give in to sin, we buy into the lies of the enemy. We distrust God and we trust the enemy. Have you bought into the lies of the enemy that he knows what is best for your life? And maybe the Lord's shown you today that that's not the case. That's not true. God knows what's best for you. And are you ready to turn from those sins? Psalm 139, search me, O God. Show me my sin. Let's have that heart together. If we're going to advance the kingdom of God, we've got to live a life of righteousness. Lord, show me the sin in my life so that I can change it. I can get rid of it. Lord, I can live a life that brings you honor and glory. So maybe there needs to be a, a prayer of confession this morning. Maybe there needs to be a, 
a decision to be saved. I, I've got a problem with sin, but I've never given my life to Christ. And today, I feel the Holy Spirit drawing me to salvation. I don't know what you need to do, but I pray that you'll be faithful in your response to God. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word, how it speaks to us. Lord, I pray that you will show us the sin in our life. And Lord, that we will abandon that sin through the power of the Holy Spirit and we will live lives that bring you honor and glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.